right, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 11, please. Verse number 24 is where we're going to begin. Luke 11 and verse 24. Last week I brought you a sermon entitled, Whose Side Are You On? And we are continuing on in the same passage, so we're working on the heels of that idea. Whose side are you on? The spiritual battle that is happening, by the way, to this moment demands that you choose sides. And there's only two sides. Say, I'm stuck in the middle. No, you're not. You can't be. It's impossible. There's two sides. So I'm almost on the other side. Then you're still on the first side. There's just two sides. Now today's sermon, as I said, goes on the heels of this thought. And today we're going to talk about going from bad to worse. Going from bad to worse. Today, listen, you will make progress in the spiritual realm. Today. It's either going to go from bad to better or bad to worse. When you're presented with this decision that you'll be presented with today, you can't walk away the same. So with that being said, let's pray and ask God to help us to do it for the better. Amen. Father, help us as we approach the Scripture now. We don't want to take this lightly. We believe these are the words that the Holy Spirit inspired and preserved until this very day. Please speak to us. Please fill me with your Spirit. Help us, God. Please. Help us, God, to go out today better than how we came. Lord, please, if somebody here is not saved, might this be the day that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within that person. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think it's any sort of accident. Brother Francois this morning gave us a, a really good lesson from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. We've already been taught this morning about our adversary, the devil. As a roaring lion, what does he do? He walketh about. He walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Verse number 24, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. We read in other places in Scripture that the devil, he walks up and down to and fro in the earth. In Job chapter 1, this is the question that the Lord asked Satan when Satan appeared before the Lord. From whence comest thou, he asked. From walking up and down, to and fro in the earth. In 1 Peter 5, we learn what the devil is seeking for. He's seeking a person whom he may devour. Are you with me there, church? You, you believe that? But then in verse 24, Jesus adds something to our understanding of the matter. In order to devour somebody, he needs to find a place of rest in that person. That's what he's looking for. When an unclean spirit comes out, for whatever number of reasons he might go out, and there are a number of reasons why he might. But when he goes out, he walks through dry places seeking rest. Do you see that? He's looking for a place to rest. We know in other places in Scripture that the devil, he seeks control. And if you're saved here this morning, listen, he cannot possess you. You are a possession of the Lord Jesus Christ because you're purchased with his blood. However, the devil can take you captive at his will. He can, listen to this, captivate your mind and your heart. He cannot have your soul. Your soul is saved, sealed unto the day of redemption. But he can certainly mess with the way you think and with the way you feel. It is alarming how spiritually ignorant we as the body of Christ are. It is alarming. 
Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 12, writing to that first generation of Christians. He said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And he goes on for the rest of that chapter to explain how many things in the spiritual world works, specifically within a Christian. Not only spiritual gifts, but <clears throat> sorry, many things related to the spiritual world. In 2 Corinthians 2, writing to those same people, listen to what Paul told the Corinthians. He's talking about forgiving a brother who had messed up and then repented. He said, listen, you put him out of the church. It's time to bring him back and forgive him, lest he be swallowed up, devoured, swallowed up with overmuch sorrow, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The devil has plans and schemes for overtaking us. We are commanded not to be ignorant of them. And it's heartbreaking to see how many times when it comes to the spiritual realm, we are not clued in. Jesus in this passage does not unload on us all the truth there is to know about the spiritual realm. Amen. I mean, th this is just a short passage, and I'm going to try to focus my comments this morning on what's in the passage. But please know we could, we could spring off left, right, and go all sorts of directions with this information. I'm going to do my level best to stay within the context of it this morning. But this passage, you can see at the end of verse 26, the last state of that man is worse than the first. This is why it is so crucially important that you choose sides and that you do it definitively, that you make the commitment to get in. And if you're not in, then you're out. You need to understand that. And this is why if you make this half-hearted commitment, you'll have it in your head that you've done something right. You haven't. You'll end up worse in the long run. You get in. Or you're out. One thing I've learned through playing sports all my life, no matter what sport it was, I've played football, basketball, played a little bit of golf, thrown darts, shot pool, swimming, whatever the sport was. You know what's important? Follow through. Follow through. I don't, you think about it, any sport. If I'm throwing that basketball, I've got to go all the way up and hold the hand like this. If I'm throwing that baseball, God help me, I'm using sports you don't know, but if I'm throwing that baseball, i got to come all the way through, right? What do you do with a cricket bat? Don't you swing that all the way through? Sometimes? Sometimes? Oh, shame. I used the one time you don't follow through. The one sport with no follow through. I knew there was a problem with cricket. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Maybe we need to talk to the Springboks about following through on their kicks. I knew I'd get some eyebrows on that one. <laughs> Bless their hearts. I watched the replay this morning. Those kicks, that just, that just killed us. The follow-through is incredibly important. It's fine that you start good, and it's fine that you got good intentions in the middle of the process. But if you don't finish the process, if there's no follow-through, you're in big trouble. We need to take that same thought and carry it through in our spiritual lives. What Jesus came to do is not just set you free from the power and the darkness of Satan, but to bring you into his kingdom. Do you understand the difference? It's one thing that the devil, that you're freed from his uh, chains, if you will, from his bondage, but that's, that's not the whole story. Then you need to make a commitment to allowing Jesus Christ to sit upon the throne of your heart. It's incredibly dangerous to not choose sides. <clears throat> Before we come to the one point that I believe is the theme of this passage, I want to point out one other thing that I think is important. So I just have two points, but I want to show you something in verse number 24 today that I think is very worth mentioning. In verse 24, when an unclean, when the, <clears throat> I'm sorry, it says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places. Why is that? That's because that's where the people are at. We don't live in the water. We live in the dry places. So he, that's why the unclean spirit would walk about there. He's looking for people to devour. He walketh through dry places seeking what? He's seeking rest. He wants to find a place where he can feel comfortable. 
Now, if you know what the devil's looking for, that will help you avoid being an easy target. I don't want to be a place where the devil feels comfortable. I don't want my temple, my tabernacle, which should be inhabited and filled by the Holy Ghost, I don't want to give any place to the devil. I don't want him to feel comfortable around me. There are certain places where the devil, the devil or a devil, an unclean spirit is going to feel more comfortable than others. Listen, any place that promotes sin. I'll let you fill in those blanks, but any place that promotes sin. Any place, I'll take it a step further, that condones sin. Now, right away, you might have certain places coming to your mind, and you're probably thinking of the extreme examples of places that promotes and condones sin. But did you know this can happen in a workplace? It can happen in a church? It can happen in your home? Where certain sins just become the norm, and you don't even feel bad about them anymore. And the devil's looking for a place where he can find rest. And he feels real comfortable because you allow it. A place that offers spiritual things without truth. Devil feels right at home. Where spiritual things are, is he a spiritual being? He is more comfortable in the spiritual realm than he is the physical. He operates better in that realm. Wherever you have spiritual things happening, that are not true things, because not everything that spiritual is true. Amen? Not everything spiritual is true. Anytime the truth of God can be perverted and you think you've met with God when in fact you didn't, you had a spiritual experience, but it, it wasn't a Holy Spirit experience. The devil feels very comfortable in such situations. Any place that calls something's Forgive me, let me word it different. Any place that calls a spiritual thing, let me work it again here. The words will come right. Anytime some place says that you take a carnal thing and call it spiritual, the devil's going to thrive in such atmospheres. You say, what kind of things do you mean? When you go through the motions of a dead ritualistic religious experience, Brother Francois mentioned, you know, throwing some oil here or putting up a certain picture here or hanging something here. And it looks good. It looks Christian. But, but it's just a thing. It's a carnal thing. It's a physical thing. And, 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 and listen, I, they're not always bad, but sometimes when you start to think that that thing makes you spiritual, the devil feels very comfortable around those carnal things that you're calling spiritual. We live, and, and praise God, I, I thank God, I love our house. God's given us a, a beautiful home. We live nearby Trim Park. For those of you that are familiar with the area, you know that on a regular basis, they throw parties at Trim Park. And whenever they throw those loud, obnoxiously loud parties, I walk about seeking rest. <laughs> I, I leave my home. I do. I leave town. I tried to sleep through it. I, I can't. It's just too loud. My windows shake in my house. So I, I go through other dry places seeking rest. I'm not comfortable there. I'm certainly not comfortable with the words of the music, let alone the beat of the music. There's just something not only physically wrong with that. It hurts my eardrums, but spiritually it doesn't sit well with me. It makes me feel weird. I don't like it. So I go about seeking rest. Now, can we not learn a lesson from that and tur turn that around and use it against the devil and all of his cohorts? Can we not make so much good spiritual noise that the devil doesn't feel comfortable around us and rather by submitting to God and surrounding ourselves with the things of God that it resists him and then he flees. And he says, I got to get away from that. There's just too much truth, too much Jesus, too much of the Holy Spirit, too much of the Bible, too much of the singing of spiritual songs. I, I just can't handle that. And off he goes. I don't want to be a place where the devil feels comfortable. I don't want my home. I don't want this church to be a place where he feels comfortable. I want to surrender myself and surround myself with the things of God. That's what Peter or James, forgive me, in James chapter 4, he says, Submit thyself therefore unto God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee. So God, whatever you've provided me, I want to keep it all around me. Always. In the book of Deuteronomy, he says that the word of God should dwell in your heart. And the next verse says, you should be talking about the word of God when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise us up. I just got the Bible just going, going constantly. Why? Because the devil's not comfortable. Have you ever met somebody, you started talking with them about rugby, about cricket, about money, about business, about politics, and man, you're getting on fine. As, as soon as you bring up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It feels like fingers on a chalkboard. You know why? You just struck a chord in the spiritual realm. Something just disturbed whatever spirit's in that guy. I don't have any problem talking about my Savior. But that next guy says, ooh. And you know what? It's not just unsafe people. A lot of saved people, as soon as you bring up the subject of religion, right, they go to church, and they'll do this. You can ask them, are you saved? I go to church. And they're offended. Now, why are you offended? I'm I'm asking, are you my brother in Christ? That's that's not an, an act of aggression. That's not me trying to be an enemy. That's me trying to find our common ground. When were you born again? Well, I don't think you should ask those kind of questions. Now, would the Holy Spirit mind that kind of question? So what spirit is it working in you that makes you bothered when you hear that question? There's something going on in the spiritual realm that says, ooh, I don't like, I don't like talking about that. Listen, preacher, I don't think these things should be discussed uh, publicly. These are private matters. Who told you that? There's some spirit that isn't at rest, that doesn't like those subjects. Jesus says they're going to go about seeking for rest. I hope he finds none in me, near me. If that unclean spirit circles back round to you after he's gone out, I hope he finds a temple that is filled with the word of God dwelling in you richly. You are commanded to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're supposed to have a heart filled with compassion. The Bible says singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I hope that when that, because the the devil's not going to quit just because you get saved. I hope that when he circles back and says, well, let's go back and see what's going on in this house. I lived here for years. Let's see what's going on there. And there's a whole bunch of biblical noise, joyful noise to the Lord. I mean, making such a racket that he just can't be there. He can't be around it. I want to surround myself with it. Those sons of Sceva, they go to cast out devils. Remember that story in Acts chapter 19? They go to cast out the devils. And that, and that unclean spirit says, now Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? You remember that? They go to that guy filled with the devil, and they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preacheth, come out. And that unclean spirit answers and says, now, now, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you guys? You know why they knew Jesus and why they knew Paul? Because when those guys came to town, they weren't comfortable. But when these other guys came to town, listen to this, they were religious. And they would talk about Jesus, and they would talk about Paul, but they had no personal relationship with Jesus, and they didn't understand the message of Paul. And the unclean spirits say, now you guys have never caused us any trouble. Who are you guys? The devil ought not feel comfortable around you. And that brings me to this second point that I want to make. I believe the main point of this passage. In verse number 25, when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. We're going to talk. I've tried to give you a few words about finding rest and how these unclean spirits are looking for that. Now we're going to talk about from bad to worse. The unclean spirit went out, and now in verse 25, he's come back. When he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. In one of the other gospels, it says he finds it empty. Empty, swept, garnished. This tells me something. This person, in verse 25, had a spiritual experience. He had to have. You know why? The unclean spirit left. He did have a spiritual experience. He just didn't have a full one. He had no follow-through. The unclean spirit did go out, but nothing else came in. It didn't get replaced with anything good. He didn't complete the transaction. 
Now, uh, forgive me, I, I want to mention this and then I want to focus on our passage, but it's worth mentioning. You can get saved, the Holy Spirit can come in, please hear me on this, even in this condition as a saved man, you still need to make a proper commitment, hot or cold, Jesus says, don't be lukewarm. There is a danger, a very real danger at being, when you are a lukewarm believer, because you will deceive yourself into thinking I've done enough and then no one else can convince you you need to change. There, so there is a danger even for true believers that have the Holy Spirit in them, you still need on a daily basis to yield to the Holy Spirit, to allow him, as we say, to let the resident be the president, to let him sit on the throne of your heart. So uh, please understand, we could talk about the lukewarm Christian. I don't think that's the focal point of this passage. I'm just telling you, you might be, as a saved person, you might be able to glean some things from what we're going to learn today. But what we're talking about here is a person who got religion without a relationship with God. They had a spiritual experience, but they did not get saved. It was all external and not internal. And when that happens, friends, things are going to go from bad to worse. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. If a person in verse 25 is swept and garnished, you understand what, what this is, is you, you, you've cleaned up a bit. There are a lot of folks that come around to church, they hear the name Jesus and they get excited by what they hear and it motivates them to make some changes and they stop a few bad habits. They, they, they sweep. You understand what garnish is? How many of you, you go to a fancy restaurant, have you seen the garnish on the plate? That's useless food that's put there to decorate it. Now, good garnishing is edible. <laughs> good garnishing is edible. But sometimes they'll stick some, some nonsense on the plate. You can't even eat it. And they'll tell you when they bring the plate, don't touch that. <laughs> What's it there for? You know, there are a lot of things that, that we have in our spiritual lives that have absolutely no purpose. They're just there to decorate the plate. They serve no function. They have no purpose. They're just there to make others think we are something that we're not. It is garnish. It is garnish. I found it interesting. The word that produces garnish, the Greek word behind it is this word, cosmeo. It's where we get the word cosmetics. You see, you went to the Lord, you needed a heart transplant, but instead you got a facelift. And you know, some of those facelifts leave, when you get a little older, it looks scary. <laughs> right in the moment, you might walk out and go, ooh, look at this, looks better. You give it enough time and everything else is sagging except... Hey, listen, in enough, time, in enough time, you'll get scary. It'll go from bad to worse. <laughs> It'll go from bad to worse. Here's what happens. You have this spiritual experience. You come around to church. You hear some preaching, and you go, hey, you know what? That sounds pretty good. That sounds right. You know what? I'm not living a good life. Sin has been taking a toll on me. You know what? I'm going to change a few things. I'm going to do better. So you make a few changes, you stop a few bad things, and you start wearing, you know, a cross around your neck, and you hang some spiritual pictures in your home and garnish it up, right? And you think, well, there we go. I have come right with God. Do you realize what you've done is you've traded sins? You had a few bad habits, you traded that for the sin of self-righteousness. You, are now, you have gone to a deeper level of deception because before you thought you could sin and get away with it. But after a while, you realize that's not true. I'm starting to pay for my sins. Sin is expensive even in this life. So you stop that, you get a little bit of religion, you feel better about yourself, and then you swing all the way over to here to saying, well, now that I got this new religious system that helps me be a better version of me, I must be just fine with God. And you have this deep-rooted deception that you're right with God when, friend, you're still unsaved. You're still empty. Your Christianity exists on the outside, not on the inside. The Bible tells us that Satan can appear as an angel of light. It looks good, but that's all that it is. It just looks good. This guy in verse 25, he looks good. 
but it's just on the outside. When you have an external spiritual experience and nothing internally changes, you're not born again. Jesus Christ doesn't come to live within your heart. The Holy Spirit isn't working and dwelling inside of you. You understand what's happened. On the outside, it looks right, but on the inside, empty. The Bible says, neither give place to the devil. You've left a place for him to step in and start start to put his thoughts in there. Neither give place to the devil. I've seen this so many times and it's heartbreaking because most of the people that get swept up in this mean well. And that's exactly the kind of person that the devil wants to target is the one that, that wants to change, that heard something about God and got excited about it and started to make a few changes. And they get motivated by the idea of Jesus. They get inspired by the idea of Jesus. And listen, because of what Jesus did on the cross, here's their reaction. He loved me so much he died for me. So I'm going to change my life into what I think will please him. And you end up being a cleaner version of you. And that is not what Jesus came to do. He came to conform you to his image, not to allow you and help you to become the version of you you want to be. If that sounds like a New York Times best-selling book, it's because somebody wrote it. Be the best you that you can be. Every day is a Friday. That's just a lie out of the pits of hell. Jesus didn't come to establish your kingdom. He came to establish his Father's kingdom in you. He came to rule in your heart, not to help you overcome a few bad habits so that you could be a clean version of you. He didn't come to wash the pig. He came to change the pig into a sheep. Amen. We don't need any more fair jewels in the swine's snout, if you know your Proverbs. We don't need to decorate the pig. Listen, you can put lipstick on a pig, you can spray perfume on a pig, you could even dress it in a dress and bring it to church, it's still a pig. And unless a man is born again and gets into Christ, you are still that old creature you've always been. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new. And only, only that happens when you become born again. So how do I do that? To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's got to be something internal. People use Jesus as their cheerleader. He died on the cross because he loves me. Jesus is there to cheer me on. Go on, you can do it, you can do it. Be the best you you can be. I'll help you. I'll help you be whatever you want to be. Je Jesus is not the genie that lives within the lamp. He's the God that sits upon the throne of the universe. The Almighty that desires to sit upon the throne of your heart. Jesus said it, and I'll repeat it, and I will until God takes me home. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus did not say that you have to come to church and start going through certain rituals and get baptized and get confirmed. And he didn't say a church membership will bring you into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It is not just the changing of a few things on the outside. It's God coming in and rearranging on the inside. It's verse number 22, friend. At the end of the verse, he comes in and takes away the armor wherein he trusted and divides the spoils. He takes over from the inside. He doesn't just decorate you differently. He changes you. He conforms you. He transforms you. When Jesus comes and presents you with this offer, repent, believe the gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is. I'll save you. I'll be the master. Here's what I'm offering. A brand new life in me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Throw out the life you had. Take mine. If you lose your life, you'll save it. Because Jesus will give you that abundant life that he came to offer. This is not the time to negotiate. There, is, there are no negotiations to be had. 
You don't say, well, Lord, I understand what you're offering and that's very kind and I'm very glad that you died for me. But you know what, Lord? I got things going on. I got a life to live. I got plans. I got dreams. So, Lord, how about we meet somewhere in the middle? I'll stop doing this and this and this and I'll start doing a few extra good things, nice garnishing. And, Lord, I'll do that. I'll do that because of this generous offer that you've made me. I'll just compromise it. And you don't negotiate with the Lord to get into the kingdom of heaven. That's not how the kingdom of God works, friend. You either take the offer or you reject it. It's just that. There's no middle ground. You have to choose the side. This man that we're dealing with in verse number 25 is a man who decided, okay, I had a spiritual experience and things look better. And that's where he stopped. He became religious. I wonder how many of you grew up in a religion. And perhaps your whole life you've been garnished with that religion. And I don't say this as a condemnation against you. It's what you were brought up with. But perhaps today, if never before, today might I challenge you, dear friend, and I do this lovingly, might I challenge you with this thought that maybe until this point it's all been external. And, and when that kingdom of God, that relationship with the Lord is offered to you, be very careful what you do with it. Because what you do can either you can go from bad to better or bad to worse you say well i'm not going to decide bad to worse verse 26 then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself can i say this now when you have a religious experience a spiritual experience and it's just on the outside and you're just going through the motions you don't have a true relationship with the lord eventually that religious experience is going to be tested. It will. This, this is true of all of us. But e even, even those of you that have not been born again, seven other spirits, something big is going to come and test that newfound system you have for your life. Now, if you're like me, I've read this passage a number of times. Here's what I, here, here's what I picture in my mind. The seven other spirits come, and what ends up happening? This man goes back to doing the same sins he used to do, but worse, right? I think that's our natural reaction to this, is he goes right back to what he was doing, but worse. And that is possible. Perhaps these seven other spirits come, and they tempt this person. Let's say, listen, you know, this religion thing you have, it's not very satisfying, is it? It isn't very fun, is it? Look, it's just the same old thing every week. Read the Bible, pray, go to church. And remember those good old days when you used to go out and have a good time? Didn't you feel a lot better back then? And the temptation to go back to that sin can be real. And because there's nothing inside of you to anchor you down and keep you where you need to be with God, back you go. So it is possible that that is what's happening here. It could also be this. You hear the word, you get excited about it. And you start to make some changes, but the word isn't deeply rooted in the ground. It fell on stony ground. So when persecution arises, as soon as things get tough, as soon as somebody else challenges you on your faith, oh, I don't want to offend anybody, and off you go. You, you turn on the Lord. You, you deny the Lord so that you can keep your friends. It could be that. I'll tell you something else it could be, and I think this is what Jesus was actually getting at. This unclean spirit comes back. He brings seven other buddies with him, more wicked than himself. And they come in and they find this thing empty, swept, garnished. You know what they do? They walk in and they're comfortable. They found rest, didn't they? If they didn't find any rest, they wouldn't have gone back in. They went in and they thought, there's nothing in here that challenges us. So these seven other wicked spirits, you know what they do? They don't tell the man, go back to drinking, go back to running around with women, go back to gambling. None of that. That's stuff that this person already knows was bad for him. You know what they do? They go in and they start whispering in his ear and say, well done you, man. You got religion. That ought to be enough to get you to heaven. Hey, listen to you. L look at you. Your life has changed for the better. You're a good example. You're right where you need to be. No one else needs to teach you anything. 
you got a handle on your life. Look, you can control. You know when to stop. You have good self-discipline. And those, you say, well, one sin is as good as another. No, it's not. There are some sins that are worse. Jesus said that some sins are worse than others. He told Pilate, the person who sent me to you has the greater sin. There are some sins that are worse. And I'll tell you, one of them is pride. And you know what can happen? Those seven spirits come in and begin to tell that person, you're right where you need to be. Now, don't ever change. You don't need to go any further in your spiritual life. You're right where you need to be. Look, you were there. Now you're here. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit wants you there with Jesus Christ. But those seven other spirits say, right here, this is where we're comfortable. You don't need to open a Bible. You don't need to read that gospel track. You don't need to listen to that preacher. You're right where you need to be. This is how you've been doing it for 50 years, 60 years, and you're doing just fine. You got plenty of money. You got a good retirement. You got kids and grandkids that love you. Listen, you are an example to the community. That doesn't mean you're saved. That could be those seven other spirits come in and say, you're right where we need you to be. Because the devil wants you to think that coming halfway was enough. He doesn't want you to follow through. Who was it that gave Jesus the most trouble when he was on the earth in his ministry? You folks help me out. Was it the publicans and harlots and sinners? It was the Pharisees and scribes and chief priests and Sadducees. It was the religious crowd. It was the ones that grew up with religion. It was the ones that wore the long phylacteries and the robes and went about barking orders from perverted versions of the Bible. Twisting scriptures and offering, listen to this, traditions instead of the word of God. Those were the ones that gave Jesus the most trouble. Those were the ones that were Satan's greatest tool and Satan's greatest achievement. Oh, they may not have been filled with adultery and fornication and drunkenness, but they were filled with envy and pride and arrogancy and self-righteousness and self-willed and stubbornness and rebellion. And when Jesus showed up giving them the word of God, they turned it down. Jesus says, he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you're not of God. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for there's no truth in him. They couldn't stand to hear somebody telling them, you must be born again. Listen, friend, you must be born again. You know who Jesus said that to? An older gentleman. Oh, I hope you hear this part. An older gentleman that had been a religious man his entire life. He said that to a man who even admitted, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no man can do the miracles except God had sent him. And Jesus looked that gentleman straight in the eye and said, Nicodemus, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must, ye must be born again. You say, Brother Mike, why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep repeating that verse? You must be born again. You must be born again. It's real simple because you must be born again. (laughs) That's why we keep harping on it. Luke chapter 11, verse 39 Look who's in the crowd. Who was it, by the way, who was it that said Jesus was filled with Beelzebub? It was the Pharisees. It was the scribes. It was the religious leader. What did they look like? Luke 11, 39, and the Lord said unto him, now do ye Pharisees make what? Clean the what? Outside of the cup and the platter. But your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. You know what happens is a person is living that sinful, wicked life and they realize, this is destroying me. I'm losing everything. Okay, I'm going to change. So they move to this compromised middle position. I'll stop a few bad things, start a few good things. Now I'm a better version of me. They clean the outside. And eventually those seven other spirits show up and they come in and they go, 
Good job. Well done, you. You, you are a good man. Man, you, I tell you what. I've seen some people make some changes, but this is a good... You are truly a good man. I am positive that God is going to allow you into heaven. And you get so stuck with that thought of your own righteousness being enough that now when a preacher shows up and says, Sir, are you saved? Well, sure I am because I used to be that, but look where I'm at now. And you are convinced that your outward cleanliness is enough. That, my friend, is far worse than where you started. The man who will not let go of his own righteousnesses. The man who will not admit that he is a sinner and deserves to be punished by a holy God. That man is in greater danger than this guy who's living a life of sin and knows that he's worthy of hell. Because you're not going to get saved until you know that you're lost. So if there's one place the devil would like everybody to get, and listen, he rejoices that you enjoy sinful, lustful pleasures. The, the devil's happy with that. But, but that's, that's small stuff. Where the devil really does his, his dastardly work is right there in that religious realm, making you think your righteousness is enough. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 10, verse number 3? For they going about to establish their own righteousness and not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Paul said that was the danger. The Jews had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They got to this part where they were clean on the outside. And listen, you're doing the sin, you get here, you clean stuff up, but inside you're empty. You know what it will eventually happen? You'll move even farther into more dangerous sins like ravening and wickedness and hypocrisy, jealousy, envy, pride, hatred towards the things of God because you think you got it figured out. And that's far, far worse. Let me close with a biblical story that I think you're all very familiar with. In Luke chapter 15, we'll come to it in the next who knows, several months. There were two sons. You guys remember the prodigal son, the Philursian? And then we have the older brother. The prodigal son goes out and he makes a mess. Where does he find himself? In the pig pen. It was in that pig pen that the Bible says in Luke 15, verse 17, he came to himself and he realized, what am I doing? I am a filthy mess inside and out. You know what he said? That's it. I'm done with this. I'm getting out of my pig pen. I'm going to get up. I'm going to change. I'm going to go back to the Father's house. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee, and I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants, right? I mean, that man had godly sorrow. He had genuine repentance, and he went back, and the father met him halfway down on the road and gave him a hug and brought the best robe and the fatted calf and the ring and the shoes and said, son, I'm so glad you were dead. Now you're alive. You were lost. Now you're found. Why? Because he came back and established a relationship with the father. But then there was another brother. He never left home. Listen to this. From the day he was born, he'd been in that father's house. He grew up in the father's house. And for years, he probably looked down his nose at his younger brother that had gone down to the far country and said, shame on him. Doesn't he know better? Oh, that's, that's too bad. You know, he and I grew up in church together. Now look where he's at. Well, Thank God I'm not like other men. I give tithes of all that I possess. I fast twice in the week. I pray often. Thank God I'm not like my younger brother. And then when the young, un, younger brother gets saved, comes home, you, you know what happens? They're all in there rejoicing. Except for one person. That older brother's out there in the field just bitter. Ravening 
wickedness. I mean, it's deep. It's buried deep in his heart. He's got this hatred towards his brother who has just come right with God. You ought to be making merry and feeling joy over this sinner that's repented. But you don't. The things of God don't move you because your religion is all about you. And you go to the father complaining and say, Father, why would you bless him? Look at me. I've never left home. I've been here the whole time. The thing was, is he was there at the father's house, but his heart wasn't right with the father. He did not love the same things that his father loved. He did not feel concern about his younger brother, just like the, fa- the father felt concern. That younger brother had no compassion in his heart. That, young, that, that older brother, his heart was not right with, with the father. Which brother are you today? You say, well, Brother Mike, I've never gone out and lived that filthy life. I've never been that prodigal son in the pig pen. I've never cussed and drank and smoked and chewed and run with them that do. I don't do that. Listen to this. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, still dirty, because it's your righteousness and not his. We can go from bad to worse if you do not receive Jesus Christ in to sit upon the throne of your heart. If it's just a religious motion, friend, that is a dangerous place to be. Don't go from bad to worse. This morning you have a chance. Bad to better. Come to God and say, God, I've played games long enough. I don't care what anybody else is going to think of me. I want to be born again. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Have the pianist come and play something softly. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want you to think about this this morning. I've been preaching. As I told you I would, I tried to stick to the passage. Talking to people that maybe have had religion their whole life, but not salvation. time in your life when you admitted to God that you were lost I meet a lot of people that say I was was born in a Christian home I grew up as a Christian you don't become a Christian until at some point you realize I'm lost and then come to Christ and say Lord save me So that's why I'm asking this question. Has there been a time in your life when you realize I need to be born again? I need to repent. I need to convert. I haven't preached to believers so much today, but I have said a thing or two that I hope struck a chord. I hope the devil finds no resting place in you. I hope your life is terribly inconvenient for him. Some have come to the altar if you need to. Listen, you need to perhaps make your decision clear this morning. Leave no middle ground here. Lord, I'm all the way in and I'm going to prove it. Maybe you've been saved, but your heart's grown a little bit cold. Like I said, the devil can't get your soul, but he'll certainly aim for your heart and your mind. Friend, don't be lukewarm. Don't go out of here lukewarm this morning. 
that makes you that target. That makes you the one that the devil can easily devour. Because you think you're something that you're not. That's how you go from bad to worse. You think you're a sinner? Then you think you're right, but you're not God's version of right. You're your version of right. You're not right until God says you're right. The most difficult people to work with are religious people. Difficult, but not impossible. Just ask the Apostle Paul. As we wrap it up this morning, I want to remind you that Paul, a religious man, he felt the pricks in his conscience. Nicodemus, I talked about earlier, you know, he eventually came right. He eventually did. It took a few years, but he came right. So perhaps this morning something has been said that struck a nerve and you felt a bit of a prick in your heart. I would encourage you go home and marinate in that thought. Let it change you for the better. Father, thank you for sending your son not just to make us better versions of ourselves, not just to clean up a few things and decorate us, but you came to live inside of us. What a wonderful truth, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Please fill us with your spirit, with your words, with the songs of heaven. Lord, fill us with a a compassion for lost souls and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Fill us with love, joy, peace. Father, if there perhaps are some Nicodemuses here today, religious but not quite there, not there, please, God, let let them get there. Please, God, work in their heart until they also are born again. Father, as we dismiss, we ask you bless our fellowship this afternoon. Bring us back tonight hungry, ready to hear more from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, thank you so much for being here tonight. We'll start at 515. And then if you'd like to stick around for Bible school, that'll start at 6 o'clock.